How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to episode three of our podcast series, live from the Expo floor. In this episode, we will discuss the paramedic practitioner concept. We are fortunate to have grabbed up another amazing guest for this topic. Dr. Michael Loria is an EMS fellow at the University of New Mexico. He is a flight physician and a captain in the United States Air Force Reserve, and he, like basically everyone in EMS, lacks time to do anything. So, uh, Doc, thanks for being here. It's, a, it's an honor to have you here today. Oh, no problem. The honor and the privilege is mine. I'm excited to be here to talk about this. So, Doc, let's, let's, just get, let's just cut right to the jerky here. Paramedic practitioner sounds fancy and super important, but I am certain that many of the listeners are going to say, what is that? So talk to me. What in your eyes is a paramedic practitioner? Yeah, so I think that's a fantastic question because defining some of these issues is probably most important as we're talking about it. I think um, in most circles when we discuss the, the idea of a paramedic practitioner is a higher level independent practitioner uh, who is familiar with pre-hospital operations and can serve a multi-role uh, outside of the hospital. Uh, in some systems, that's like uh, kind of a PA with an EMS background who also does stuff in the field. And in some, there are some who believe it should be an independent uh, paramedic and essentially almost separate from uh, a PA or an NP, like a third advanced practice provider role. So how do we separate this from the notion of advanced provider paramedic? You know, things that are out there now, critical care paramedic. What's the difference in this? Yeah, so another fantastic question that people are, uh, are, are discussing. And I think the important step there is to understand that they would be independently licensed like uh, PAs or NPs to work in the field where they can independently prescribe medications and uh, do, under th do other things in some cases without the direct supervision of a physician. It's, it's truly an interesting concept, certainly something in EMS that we deserve, I, I truly believe. Um, you know, we look, we always seem to base ourselves off the nursing profession, right? Because that's kind of like what is, uh, I don't want to say above us, but it's something that has existed much longer. And so we look at that and we say, oh, wow, well, the nursing profession has this everywhere, right? I mean, these things exist. The question, and of course, the concern is how do we get there? With the given, uh, with the, the the current environment that we exist in in this nation with EMS, it's difficult. Yes, absolutely, very difficult. It's particularly difficult considering considering that when you go to some states, they don't even consider EMS to be you know a a necessary or critical function. Correct. Um, it's uh, even harder given other various legislative, administrative, and financial barriers. I think it's. Before getting to how and the path, I think it's also important to mention the the why. Sure. And I think for the profession of uh, of pre-hospital healthcare, and when I say that, I, I really do mean that, especially as 
Um, the role of pre-hospital professionals has grown to now incorporate things like community paramedicine and the, the scope of, of what people are doing in the field continues to expand. Um, I think that that's very important for a couple reasons. One, uh, you know, we always talk about emergency care starts in the home. It starts on scene. It starts with the person who shows up and does the very first thing to help the patient who's had an emergency. We tend to think of things in these silos of what happens outside the hospital, what happens in the ED, what happens in the OR, what happens in the ICU. But quite frankly, the patient doesn't care, right? They need what they need when they need it. So it's like, kind of like one of my Yogi Bearisms, right? Yeah. Um, the, I think the same is true for public health and healthcare in general, right? It doesn't matter whether we, we traditionally think of it as people coming to see a doctor or coming to the hospital or coming to the clinic. But I think there is definitely a role for advanced providers to keep healthcare in the home. And I think nothing has brought that more to light in the current pandemic. I also think it's important because as a profession for to retain really smart and capable people in the field, I think there needs to be or should be a, uh, an evolution of that care as you gain experience that you can continue to stay in the pre-hospital world and work in different functions. And to get to your question, the hard part is how do we get there? Well, as it turns out, it's a very long and hard uh, row to hoe. Um, there are, all, I think, we starting with the bright spots, right? What's what's doable? What's capable? And sure. you know, we were having this conversation before. In terms of training, education, intellectual capability, I think that paramedics, in particular, who are used to making decisions within a certain scope and within certain um, within certain guidelines, clinical guidelines in the field is something that shows us that the clinical decision-making process and the technical skills are absolutely there. Right. And in terms of uh, understanding the material, teaching advanced stuff, I mean, if you can teach a tbi military paramedic like me to be a doctor, we can teach paramedic <laughs> practitioners. That's not a problem. The challenges, I think, are going to be things like regulation, legislation, and how, if we can barely afford to pay people working in the field right now and compensate them appropriately so they don't have to work 10 jobs to make ends meet, how are we going to be able to fund uh, an independent practice provider or an advanced practice provider in the field? I think those are all challenges that we that will ultimately need to be addressed. I agree. So let's hash this out, right? So, you know, everything you say makes complete sense. Um, you know, the paramedic practitioner are they capable of doing this? Without question. Do they have the ability to be trained to do this? Without question. Do paramedics on the whole do a lot of things you know, better than some of the practitioners out there, have more experience? They do. But how do we get past this whole minutia of funding this type of thing? What is the funding source? What are we going to do? Is this going to be funded through insurance? Is this going to be funded through Medicare, Medicaid? You know, there's so many questions that I have that they probably don't have answers right now. But I'm interested to hear your take on this as as we begin to look at this because, you know, let's be honest, and, and we everything kind of meshes into the same thing. Recognition for EMS is not there, mm -hmm. right? Like you said, it's not even regulated in some states. It's just not as an essential service. Garbage pickup is. <laughs> but emergency medical services isn't, right? So right there is an inherent problem that needs to be addressed immediately. But it's not. And so then we had the pandemic and we thought that we were in front of things and people were starting to recognize, hey, it's not just an ambulance driver anymore, right? 
But how do we get this recognition of the profession? Because I think before we move into a different level, we need to have some sort of recognition by society in general that this exists. Absolutely. So <laughs> I think that recognition is sort of a, a, a multi-pronged attack. Uh, I think that from an, an academic standpoint, I do wrestle with the idea of requiring requiring bachelor's degrees for all of our paramedics. I've gone back and forth like at this. I think it's a good idea in theory, but uh, I also sympathize with some of our services that we have perfectly capable and good paramedics in general and sending them back to school and doing all kinds of stuff would not only be onerous in terms of time, but also money. However, in general, if I think we're moving in the direction of getting uh, of getting recognition as a professional service that provides health care in the field, I think it's probably the direction that ultimately we need to head. I, I, I Listen to me. I agree with you. Because, yes, it puts an onus on the provider who works for three or four projects to put dinner on the table. I get that. I, I, don't, I totally do. But I think that ultimately, for that acceptance to come, you're going to have to have a higher learning component to this. Yeah, same thing with physicians, same things with nurses now that are going to BSN. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough in the beginning, but once you get over that initial hump and that initial kick in the gut, I, I think it's something you got to stick to. Yeah, I think it's I think it's ultimately the direction that we have to go. I think it also starts at the advocacy level. So yes. NAEMT and other organizations have been doing an amazing job. And I think we need to essentially double down on that advocacy to get, um, to get recognized as a part of the critical infrastructure sure. of, uh, of any community. Because all, I think it's, it's, it's crazy how we think of law enforcement and fire and often EMS very much integrated in all those, but taken as a separate entity, many states and organizations consider it not a, uh, a, a critical or um, necessary uh, necessary thing, which is wild because they're calling us more than they ever had in the past. Without, <laughs> it, it's it's mind-boggling, right? <laughs> right? And I mean, listen, we've always fallen to that third-tier service, right. right? Regardless of where you are, you're oh, it's always police, fire, EMS, yeah. right? It's ne nobody ever said EMS, fire, police, unless you're in the EMS industry. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that needs to change. But you know, when we talk about a paramedic practitioner, do, is this something that is is kind of in lockstep with the ET3 model or the community paramedicine model where you can now literally just, like you say, independently have somebody come to your home to do this without activating that 911 system. Yes, so I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's a very important thing, that's a very important idea and, um, and within the context of that idea of ET3 and community paramedicine and alternative destinations right. and um, and not you know just healthcare in the field and not having to go to the hospital call 911, especially in light of the fact that in a lot of places the 911 service is being overused and for non-emergencies. Correct. Um, I think that that might be a viable place to sort of uh, develop and grow the concept. I think that uh, if we want to prove it, if we want to develop it, we're going to have to we're going to have to demonstrate that it's a necessary thing, that it provides um, that it provides some sort of benefit financially or from a health care outcome standpoint um, for for patients, and that I think can be very challenging. But it is it, it is in step with those concepts that look at. Um, 
potentially uh, using this this role to save healthcare dollars, avoid unnecessary transports, avoid unnecessary hospital bills, uh, and the like. So I think my personal opinion would be that that would be an interesting place to sort of begin to develop this concept, test it, uh, and see that see if it's uh, beneficial. Ultimately, I think what what drives change is dollars. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, let's just be honest. It, you know, if we're being honest, if you can prove that hospitals stay, right, and, and, and insurance money going out for those patients for hospital stay is going to decrease because of this, and hospital will be able to save their, on budget here because of what we're doing inside a home, I honestly believe that can drive the change. I mean, and that's the concept that community power medicine and ET3 were built on, right? We right. said, listen, we need to decompress the ERs. We need to decompress the floors because we have too many people in there that really shouldn't be in there, don't need to be, right? right? And you could keep costs down of insurance. It's a trickle-down effect, and I really do feel that we were in a good spot there for a while. Like, we were hitting it hard, um, and then we got hit with the pandemic, yeah. right? You know, I mean, like, it was like, oh, yeah, here we go. We're going to see this change. Here it comes. And then we get hit with a global pandemic, and we go back to being ambulance drivers and going and putting on PPE everywhere. And listen, people were banging pots for us, and that was great, right? But we kind of lost track of that progression that we had moving. And so now we're not done with the global pandemic by any stretch. We continue to do it. But I almost think that we need to get back in focus on how we're going to move this forward. Yeah, and I'm actually surprised that um, there haven't been stronger pushes at this point because when hospitals are literally, EDs are literally overflowing, trying to transfer patients out of state hundreds of miles because they can't find a single ICU you know, within a 500-mile radius, uh, they're that clogged up that I would, I would have thought that this would be the onus to kind of try and push that forward. I'm interested to hear or see, because I have not yet, if there are people in other areas around the country that are taking that opportunity, because I feel like that, you know, if there's a time when the, the iron is hot and probably ready to strike, it would probably be now. Yeah, no doubt. And I think we need, I, we need that collective voice, right? That, that's literally going to say, all right, we're going we're gonna to drive this through, right? We're going to see this through. Well, we need to talk to the Eagles about that because, <laughs> you know, I'm going to tell you right now, we need that collective voice that's just going to push us over where there, that, that there's notoriety there, right, and that they can make that point clearly that, listen, we are in a changing environment in healthcare. I mean, obviously, healthcare evolves all the time, but the way it's delivered pre-hospitally is, is antiquated. Right. To, for lack of a better term, it's antiquated. And we need to start to be a little bit more innovative in our approach. And I think it's just getting that message, that delivery out there, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that uh, the innovation in this space has been uh, challenging uh, for, a, for a long, long time because of many of the issues that we mentioned. But uh, I think we have to keep on, we have to keep on pushing and we have to keep on seeing that. I think the more that we begin to look outside of the traditional architecture of healthcare, especially in the setting of emergency care, um, and, uh, and be able to push it so that we are looking at things like delivering public health modalities outside of the hospital, primary care outside of the hospital, uh, emergency care that's evolving and uh, outside of the hospital. I think that um, 
we 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 need to explore that space a little bit more. And th to be quite honest, I don't know how it would go. You know, sometimes these things that we have grandiose plans for, they they turn out to not be viable or sure. to uh, not function as well as we think. But I think the sin is not in trying. It's in trying and persisting in light of something that's terrible or not going right or not helping. So I think that in light of the fact that a lot of this hasn't been tried and there's so much space for innovation with uh, a profession of people that we're surrounded by right sure. now at the conference that are uh, creative, innovative, adaptive, and care so much about their communities, we have really fertile soil to try these things out. So. Without question. Well, we need more great minds like yours, Dr. Michael Loria. Uh, unfortunately, you don't have enough time to do anything given the many titles that you hold, just <laughs> like the rest of us. But I really do want to thank you for coming on and talking about this. It is a great concept, uh, you know, and it, it's something that collectively as an EMS community, we need to start thinking more about, but really advocating for it, right? Being that voice out there and, and pushing this profession forward. Because if it's going to survive, we're going to need some figureheads to actually take the bull by the horns and, and push it through. So, absolutely, Doc, you are one of them. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us and I want to thank you for listening. Uh, this is episode three, live from the floor, live from the expo floor. Remember, we have 13 podcasts coming to you from the expo floor in the next three days. So thanks for listening. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Thanks for tuning in. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.